The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. We're going to land in Matthew 16. If you've got a Bible with you, you can go ahead and, and turn there. If you've got a smartphone with a Bible app, you can turn there. How many of you would say you've at some time or another been misunderstood? Right? I mean, I know you're like, come on, that's like all of us. I get it. I've been married 23 years. There is no doubt I've been deeply misunderstood more times than I can count, right? Um, there's something about, uh, you think in the context of marriage, it's right for misunderstandings. Um, back in the 90s, I think John Gray, Dr. John Gray, wrote a book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And so it's just that idea of like how we interact as a, as a couple um, in married life, um, like I said, is right for misunderstandings. I, I think about how when something is wrong and my wife wants to talk about it, I've got to be real keen on the difference between wanting to solve the problem and needing to just listen. Anybody with me in that conversation, right? Uh, how, about, how about being misunderstood because you sent a text to somebody, a text to somebody, and they interpret it as an angry text? Anybody ever been there? Like, no, no, that's not how I meant that. Or somebody says something and you think they're joking, so you laugh like, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, you were serious, right? You ever been there? Or the opposite? Like, you, you don't laugh, and they're like, I was totally kidding. You're like, <laughs> I, I know, you know. Um, but misunderstandings happen all the time. We're not unfamiliar with them, and the examples are endless. In fact, what I love about reading Scripture, I talk all the time about you and I being readers of Scripture. What I love about reading Scripture is that there are story after story of various misunderstandings. One of them happens, and again, there's tons, but in 2 Samuel 10, in the Old Testament, uh, one of David's friends, who's a king, dies, and David sends a delegation to that nation um, to mourn with the new king, who is the son of the guy who died. And so here's David trying to do something nice, and the, the, the advisors to the new king are like, that's not why David's doing it. David's doing that to spy out the land because he wants to take you over. And basically, the, long, uh, the, the, the short version of the story is a war ensues because of a simple misunderstanding. It happens in the New Testament too. One of my favorites is um, the disciples are out boating with Jesus and at one point Jesus says to them, um, be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And the disciples are looking at each other like, oh no, yeah, we forgot to bring bread. We should have stopped at the mini-mart and got bread before boat day. You know, like they're all, you know, that's not what Jesus was talking about. And of course, one, one of the most monumental misunderstandings in scripture is when uh, Mary says to Joseph, I'm pregnant, um, and, and, you know, that's kind of a big deal if you remember the Christmas story at all. But I want to talk a bit about a misunderstanding that happens between Jesus and Peter in Matthew chapter 16. What you have as you look at um, verse 21 is this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to, the, go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And God, on this good Friday, I pray for you to open every one of our souls, every one of our spirits, God, that we can learn, that we can take in, that we can grow in wrapping our heads around why this story matters on a good Friday. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, this is a point in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is a point in Matthew 16 that, that, that kind of marks a change in Jesus' approach to ministry because it says specifically in verse 21, from that time on. Right before this, Peter had just declared that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Who do you say I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say a great prophet. Who do you say? Peter says, you are the Christ. Peter's exactly right. And you get to this point where from that time on, this is also at the point where the temperature has been turned up on Jesus' ministry because what they want to do as religious leaders is get rid of him and they're jealous of all the influence that Jesus has. So in Matthew 16, verse 21, it says, from that time on, and then it goes on to say, Jesus began to explain to the disciples what must happen. He tells them, I must go and suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. On the third day, I'm going to raise to life. That happens two other times just in Matthew's account of Jesus' life. John, in chapter 2 of his gospel, um, brings up that Jesus said it as well, but he brings it up in a, in a whole other way. Where in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Remember, the temple took forever to build. The temple was elaborate and crazy. And so for them to hear him say that, they're thinking, this temple, this building, when Jesus might as well have been going like this. Again, kind of a misunderstanding, like destroy this temple and it will be rebuilt in three days, meaning he would resurrect. So here's Jesus saying these words and what I love is Peter, the, the, the disciple who tends to be the first one to jump in and say something, Peter, who has foot in mouth disease at certain times, is one of those that jumps right in and, and, and it says this, verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine what it would be like to rebuke Jesus? Now, this is another sermon for another day, but some of us do that all the time in our lives. But again, we'll let you deal with that in another you know, fashion at some point. But literally, physically, here's Peter, and he pulls Jesus aside, and he begins to rebuke him. And he says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, here's Peter, who I honestly believe didn't listen to the whole of what Jesus said. All he heard was, here's a really good friend of mine that I love dearly, and my friend is saying he's going to suffer. My friend is saying he's going to die, and I'm going to pull him aside and go, over my dead body, which is basically what Peter says. But he didn't probably hear the whole of what Jesus was trying to get to. He's being a good friend. One of the problems is this, though. Peter lacks patience. He doesn't listen to the whole of what's going on in, in, in what Jesus is talking about. R remember, I said there was a misunderstanding. Imagine if he really heard. Like, they're, they're, I'm going to suffer at the hands of religious leaders. I'm going to be killed, but on the third day, I'm going to raise life. If you really heard all of it, you'd be like, no, 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 that can't. Wait, what? Like, you serious, Clark? Like, Christmas vacation, are you serious, Clark? It's like kind of a big deal. And so Peter doesn't hear all of it. All he does is jump in and rebukes Jesus. It's a bad idea to rebuke Jesus. So what happens in verse 23 is this. Jesus turns to Peter and, and, and he doesn't just go, Peter, Peter, Pete, sweet Pete, you're just missing it, buddy. Let's go keep healing people. Okay? He doesn't do that. He doesn't take it lightly. He literally turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. Turn to your spouse and go ahead and say that. Turn to your neighbor and go ahead and say that real quick. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. A phrase you should never say to your spouse, by the way. If you've ever said that in marriage, don't ever say it again. 
you, you have all the permission in the world to say it to a pan of brownies. You have permission to say to the fast food restaurant you want to go to and get a triple, double, extra cheese, bacon, whatever, get behind me, Satan. Do not say that to your spouse. But Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, you are a stumbling block to me because you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Now, one of the things that you and I ought to understand, if you don't yet, is that Jesus, while being fully divine, is fully human. If you remember that when Jesus went out into the wilderness and was fasting and praying before his ministry began, it says that he was tempted three times by the enemy. The writer of Hebrews says this, that Jesus was tempted in every way we are, but was without sin. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that when Jesus faced temptation, he's like, piece of cake, nope, I'm good. What it means is that there was a pull in Jesus to to maybe do the wrong things. He just never did it. In the temptation, when Satan appears to him and there's this whole conversation about, about Jesus ruling, the enemy says, if you bow down, I will give you the ability to rule. In other words, fulfill what God designed you for, but in my way. And in the same way, when Peter comes to Jesus and rebukes him and says, that's not going to happen, remember that Jesus was tempted to not go to the cross. Did you know that? You may not want to believe that. You may not want to think that's true, but Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. In fact, if you remember, after they're in the upper room having what we call the Last Supper, it says they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know what happened there? Yeah, he sweat drops of blood. Do you know what his prayer was? Father! take this cup from me. It's a poetic way of saying, I don't want to go to the cross. We doll it up. We make it sound fancy. But you need to remember Jesus was tempted. One of the ways Jesus was tempted was to not do what he knew he needed to do. And what did he need to do? He needed to go to the And so in the garden, there's the disciples. And he leaves the the whole group and he brings Peter, James, and John a little further along. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch while I go pray. And he moves on a little further from them. And that's where he begins to pray that prayer. Father, take this cup from me. But I don't want my will. In other words, I don't want the human way. I want your way. Jesus knew that that within hours of what was happening there, he was going to be arrested and tried and and beaten, tortured. Anybody ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? I realize now maybe it's a little dated, but with the technology they had then, if you've ever watched it, they did a pretty incredible job of trying to depict the suffering that our Savior went through. And it is gruesome to watch. It's horrible to watch. It brings me to tears every time I've ever seen it. But it's Jesus knowing that's what was coming. So when when Peter says, no, 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 no. I'm your friend. I'm not letting that happen to you. There's a pull in Jesus. I don't get I don't want to go. But Jesus took it so seriously, his mission, that he says to Peter, 
you get behind me. That, that's not God's plan. That's your plan. That's not God's way. That's human way. He, when he says it specifically, he says, you're a stumbling block. You have in mind the concerns of God. Uh, you have in mind not the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter's viewpoint was temporary, whereas Jesus' viewpoint was eternal. You don't want to talk about another sermon. How many times do you and I struggle with a temporary viewpoint? God, why am I going through this? God, why is this happening? God, I don't understand this. Because we're looking at it from a temporary perspective. Oftentimes, the things that you and I face can feel wildly confusing. And you see people that when they don't understand, they grow bitter. When they, don't, when they can't process what's happening with their temporal mind, then God doesn't care. Then God's walked out. Then God isn't real. I'm finished. How many stories do we hear of people that just kind of walk away? Because they didn't get it. Peter is struggling because what he has is he's trying to be a good friend. But what he's looking through is the lens of the temporary. And again, another sermon for another day, but how often do you and I do that? The temporary, the here and the now. In a world, especially in our world, where we want instant gratification, everything to be amazing immediately, all the stuff to fall together, all the dreams to come in line, all the stuff to be fulfilled that we want. It's all right. I'm kind of listening along here, getting a little, little mini sermonette off to the side. See, the, the greater issue when you and I today read what Peter said, the greater issue is that's our struggle. That's our struggle. We look through the lens of here and now, and Jesus looks through eternity. Now, when we're gone from here, you and I are going to marvel at what's ahead. Remember Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place. I can't imagine how amazing that place is going to be. But you and I are promised that in Christ, there's an eternity. There's an idea of I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. There's going to be the wedding supper of the Lamb. There's going to be you and I in the full presence of God, not in the same way through the Spirit today here, but there fully understood and fully known. Like this idea of, of John says in Revelation, streets of gold, things that he couldn't barely put words to. He's saying this place is going to be amazing because I saw it and he tries to write about it. But there's one thing I wonder about eternity, not how amazing it's gonna be, not how incredible it'll be to be in God's presence and see Jesus face to face, see people that have gone before us in eternity. It's gonna be amazing. But here's what I wonder. What will it be like to breathe our last breath, to cross the veil into eternity? And is it possible there'll be a moment where once we realize it's for real, how would that change our perspective on the now? 
How will that change the perspective of you and I sitting here in a world where you, you watch what goes on and, and it's just all kinds of soul crushing and all kinds of hopelessness and wars and all this stuff that, by the way, Paul told Timothy, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and all the jealousies and faction, all this stuff going on, terrible times. But I do think about, again, the struggle that you and I have thinking about or trusting in or looking through the lens of the eternal in the world of the temporary. Why do I bring it up? Because we call today Good Friday. And if I've barely scratched the surface of this whole Jesus thing, and if I'm on the outside looking in, it's a pretty weird group of people that sings and prays about the blood of some guy. That, that we talk about this idea of communion. And again, if you're looking on the outside, from the outside into the world of, of, of Jesus' followers, and we're like, hey, there's like this, this thing we do where we eat bread and we drink juice, and it's supposed to be this body and blood of Jesus idea, and we commemorate it. You guys are weird. And then you have the audacity to, to, to celebrate this I don't know if it's even a holiday, but you have this thing called Good Friday. But from the perspective of the outside, what's good about the Friday that your leader died on a cross? You guys are nuts. But one of the things that you're doing automatically, most of us sitting in this room, is taking for granted that you're already looking through the lens of the eternal because it is Good Friday. See, again, through the lens of the temporal, it goes like this. This is John uh, 19. Later, this is Jesus on the cross, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled. And Hunter talked about... Um, where is he at? There's Hunter. That's Aaron. That's Hunter. Um, Hunter talked about uh, Psalm 22. It says, so the scripture will be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. They soaked a sponge on it, put it on the, the, uh, a stick and, uh, of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And that's that. And Jesus is dead. And it's finished. From the temporal, it's finished, is like you and I just had a meal and we're finished and we move on with life. It's finished is we're building Ikea furniture and we have a bunch of bolts and things left over and we throw them away. It's finished. <laughs> we just move on. That's the lens of the temporal. It's, it's, it's not a new thing for some religious zealot to be killed for what they believe in. That's been happening since the beginning of humanity. But through the lens of the eternal, it is finished is far different. It is finished is my suffering is now complete. The price that needed to be paid for the sins of all mankind is now done. The law is now officially fulfilled. The work to establish a new covenant. It is finished. 
And so through the lens of the eternal, we can understand it's Good Friday. It's good. Because Jesus paid the price for us. It's good. Because we could never pay our own price. It's good. Because no longer are you and I required to go to the priest and deal with the holy of holies and the bringing of the animals into here and we cut them up and burn them up. and That stuff's done. It's finished. And so the beauty of, of what God did in Christ is that through the lens of the eternal, assignment one is done. Now, the beauty of it is it's a two-part assignment. We'll get to that Sunday, right? We're going to celebrate Sunday. So today is a little more somber. Temporarily, or excuse me, looking through the temporary, is bad Friday. But the cross is so different. His blood shed, his body pierced. His life traded for ours. It's the difference between at the end of a movie, it scrolls on, you know, the end in that font and then roll credits, right? It's the difference between that and when it says to be continued, dot, dot, dot. That's the difference. And I know we know that. And I know that you, you sit here and go, this is nothing new. But it is a beautiful picture of clearing up the misunderstanding of Peter. Jesus had to do this for you. Jesus had to do this for me. And what I want to make sure that we do on a, on a night like tonight is stop and appreciate that moment. Stop and appreciate the body and blood broken and shed for you and for me. So we're going to celebrate on Sunday. And it's going to be one big party. But tonight, before we dismiss, I want to take some time. And on your way in, you should have received uh, the elements for communion. And if you didn't, um, if you can just put your hand up, and we'll make sure with our host team to get you... Um, the, the elements of communion here. So just put your hand up real quick. I want to make sure you get those. Put it up real high so we can see. I think everybody else has it. Paul, when he's trying to coach the Corinthian church, in chapter 11, I've already mentioned many times before, he's dealing with all kinds of these weird messes, and he, he, he wants to lead them in an appropriate way to observe communion. And so he takes it back to what really matters. And he reminds them of that upper room where Jesus gathered with the disciples for the last time and had a meal. And Paul says this, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. For you. And I would love tonight for you to not just think about him saying that to the disciples, but literally saying it to you. 
this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He commissioned the ongoing remembrance by saying that. And that's what we're doing today. So you could take that first layer off. You got the wafer there, a little piece of bread. You can just hold it out in front of you and I'm going to pray. Jesus, I am so grateful for the broken body, for the suffering that you went through so that my sin could be forgiven. That in the economy of our Heavenly Father, we understand that our rebellion, our sin, the things we've done wrong, all the way from the beginning, broke that relationship. But God, I'm grateful for what you've done. Your broken body. So that we could find forgiveness. Go ahead and eat that wafer right now. Excuse me, turn that cup over and you can take off that little layer there on the other side slowly. Paul says to the church after supper, <clears throat> Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this when you drink it in remembrance of me. Like I said, for those on the outside looking in, it's weird to sing and celebrate blood. But we know what it means. We're grateful for the price paid so that we could be forgiven. Like I said, when Jesus says of the new covenant, the old is done. The old is fulfilled. It's finished. He died so that we could live. Jesus, I want to thank you for your blood. That it's weird from the outside, but it's true to say we're covered in the blood of Jesus. To say that we drink some simple juice and some wine, others, whatever, but we, we take this drink remembering the blood that was shed. And we sing even old hymns, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. A more modern song like tonight, his blood, our freedom. Thank you for all the suffering you went through, for your broken body and your shed blood for us. Thank you, God. I pray we would never take it for granted. These aren't new words. Most of what's been said tonight is not revolutionary to anyone. But God, it's the reminder of the price you've paid and the gratitude I would hope that wells up inside of us that this is where we find grace. You suffered 
because you loved so much for us. In Jesus' name, go ahead and take that cup. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.